to support strong organizations that are looking at how do we dismantle inequity in society, you actually have to start kind of to some extent with yourself. <laughs> and, and then you have to think about how do we practice this at the level of team? How do we practice this at the level of organization? And how can that be catalyst for the kind of change we want in society? You're listening to Black Women Lead, a podcast elevating the stories, struggles, and accomplishments of Black women leading change in their communities. Greetings. Welcome. You are listening to Black Women Lead podcast. I am your host, Piper Carter. Today is just, it's a powerful day because we get to meet a really powerful woman. Um, I'm just going to welcome her right on into the space. Welcome, Isabel Moses. Hey, Piper. You know, we we had a brief discussion, you know, beforehand. And first of all, I want to let folks know that this podcast series is such a, a, a long coming project that, you know, is just really necessary, is really important. And I'm just really honored, you know, to be a part of it. I get a chance to meet all these really just dynamic women. And so um, if you have not listened to the podcast series in the past episodes, basically Black Women Lead is, I guess it's now a network of uh, Black women and Black men who care about uplifting Black women that came about from just a Facebook post, honestly, of our beloved brother, Kwaku Osei, who during the tumultuous uh, summer and uprisings during 2020, just has had a really, you know, important question. Um, what about supporting Black women? And that post has led to what is now a, a really just an incredible network of women who meet and discuss and are formulating ways in which to support one another. And there's even a fund where Black women are going to be sharing uh, resources together and sharing how to uh, build a resource that's useful to others. And so um, this podcast series is really also, like I said, to just shine a light on many of the women who are part of this network. And um, I, I don't know, like this is just, it's such a magical time that our souls have chosen uh, to be here on earth. And so um, we're just really blessed that we have Isabel Moses here, who is also a part of our sphere. So just want to say welcome to you again. And I'm going to pre-thank you for all of your work. So just uh, much gratitude for your time and your energy, your thoughts. You know, I want to talk a lot about your work. And I'm going to read your actual resume, but I wanted to just get um, a little bit of your voice um, in the space before I go like all the way into your resume. And I just wanted to hear from you about your experience with Black Women Lead. Yeah, well, first of all, so glad to be with you today, Piper, again, and just much gratitude for you holding the space for us to connect and to share our stories and to build community together. It's, it's really an honor. 
And um, I guess I'll start. I, I got to know Kwaku through mutual friends. I moved to Detroit about three and a half years ago from Washington, D.C. Uh, I had been doing some work in Detroit uh, with the Kresge Foundation and related to designing leadership development programs for Kresge grantees. And when I had the opportunity to visit Detroit a number of times, something about the energy here just really spoke to me. And I felt really called to relocate from DC and, and make Detroit my home and to essentially just to grow roots here and to be part of the amazing community, particularly of black creatives. Um, the community here is so rich and so fulfilling and so so soul affirming. And I actually think this black woman community is really um, evidence of the richness of Detroit. And I, um, I, that's how I was originally sort of connected is through knowing Kwaku. And I also know a number of the other women who are, who are part of this network. And it's, it's just, it, it just brings me life to, to be in, to be in community with everybody and to learn about the amazing contributions everyone's making to both Detroit, but also the broader society in terms of really ensuring that our country is as designed is one that works for all of us, which as we know is not the case today, but I think in our various ways, we are all um, sort of chipping away at the systemic injustices that get in the way of us really living into our deepest purpose and um, and making making opportunities, not only for ourselves, but for, for folks we love and even folks we don't know. So doing it in a whole bunch of different ways. So yeah, um, I want to just read your resume. And the only reason I want to read it is because it's written so well. Whoever is listening, like call Elizabeth and get consulted on how to write a resume. But, uh, you know, your bio, I mean. So, and it, it's just done so well. It's so concise. I mean, there's more. I'm only going to read like just a pinch and then we're going to get a bit of understandings. And so uh, since 2010... Uh, it says your work here is focused on partnering with foundations and nonprofits to advance equitable, equitable results in communities through courageous leadership and visionary strategies. Isabel is committed to supporting leaders and communities to realize individual and collective power so that we can all thrive. I just have to interrupt this reading here. The Visioning and the goals that are, you know, and the personal values that are in this first sentence of your bio, I just, I love this. So just had to shout you out for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, it says you currently serve as Director of Talent Development with Faith in Action National, uh, which was formerly PICO National Network the nation's largest faith-based grassroots community organizing network seeking to dismantle systemic racism and oppression and build beloved communities. She also runs an independent coaching and consulting practice serving social justice leaders and teams. And prior to joining Faith in Action, it says here that you led the leadership development practice with community wealth partners and that you previously held consulting roles with Accenture and the Management Center. 
And earlier in your career, you managed investor communications with the Calvert Foundation and served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Cameroon. Shouts out to the folks in Cameroon because I also uh, have connection and do a lot of work there uh, uh, with communities there. So uh, thank you for that. Um, and it says you hold your undergraduate degree, your M and and your MBA from Georgetown, and uh, you're a certified leadership coach uh, from Georgetown's Institute for Transformational Leadership, and you are chair of Pro Inspires Board of Directors, and that's a DC-based leadership development nonprofit. And now you live in. Detroit. How incredible is yeah. that? There's like more and more and more. If y'all could read here, there's like more, 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 or whatever, more, more, more. But um we're gonna not read to you. It's not bedtime. But uh <laughs> we wanna we want to hear from you. But I wanted I wanted to lift, you know, I like to lift words that you all share because you put, you know, folks put so much time and effort and thought, and you can tell that that is a well-crafted, well-thought-out bio. You didn't just, you, uh, <laughs> that is not a copy-paste job right there. <laughs> yeah, um, that's one of the best bios I've ever read. And, and the reason I wanted to, you know, share it in that way is, number one, not to get any information wrong, <laughs> but also just because it's, it is so well-written. You can tell you do uh, uh, strategic planning and organizing and leadership development because it's it's very apparent just from from what you wrote, you know, like right there. So um, is that something that you had to develop over time? Is that natural? Like, where does that magic come from? Well, I, you know, all thanks to my parents, I think, because in spite of not totally growing up in a justice oriented household, they were very civic oriented. And I think in actually my parents have really grown and evolved too, I think, like all of us have. And my mom runs a nonprofit in, in San Francisco that does arts advocacy. And more recently, at the intersection of arts advocacy and criminal justice reform, and not just reform, but also, you know, revolution to, to a greater extent. And then my dad ran a city agency. So both of my parents were essentially executive directors while I was growing up. So I just remember going to so many meetings as a kid and just like meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. And I would just sit in the corner and like read my book or whatever and just, you know, had a little bit of a bird a fly on the wall to watching them run these two different organizations. And I don't think I realized how much I absorbed a lot of that until later in life. But actually, it was when I was in the Peace Corps. I went to the Peace Corps to do work in a microfinance bank. I was really interested in the ways in which people could use microloans in order order to create wealth for their families and to be able to send their kids to school and um, basically change their lives through through microloan programs. And so I went to to work at a microfinance bank in Cameroon. And while I was there, I thought I'd be doing a lot more community outreach oriented work and educating people about the savings and loans opportunities at the bank. And I was in a coffee growing community. So there were a lot of, so it was a cash crop, obviously. And so folks would borrow money from the bank at the beginning of the season when they needed to buy seeds, plant the seeds, harvest the seeds, and then when it's time to sell the seeds to, to the coffee beans to um, 
wholesalers, then they would pay the the money back, back to the bank. So it was a very lucrative banking this sector. And while I was there, though, they had 2,000 members and everyone was doing everything by paper. And they had computers sitting on their desks and didn't know how to use them. So I basically discovered a talent for consulting. So I supported the team to learn how to use the computers and do electronic calculations instead of paper-based calculations, which basically saved everybody a ton of time. So instead of doing all this manual paperwork late into the night, everybody could just type everything into Excel, see that the numbers matched and go home. And so I was like, <laughs> it was really exciting. And I discovered that I really liked working with people to strengthen processes and to make things look like more efficient, more effective in order to get better results. And so when we had more time, then we could actually investigate things that were going wrong, that were kind of deeper level problems. And, um, and it was really satisfying and I really enjoyed it. And I, so I left Peace Corps and ended up going to business school because I thought that would be kind of a good way to continue to develop those skills and ended up from there going to a corporate consulting firm. Uh, I was really interested in understanding how big businesses worked and how they can be kind of engines of job creation. And then I got laid off in the middle of the economic crisis of 2009. And I really learned how big businesses work. So. <laughs> 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 Which I actually look back and I'm sort of grateful in retrospect that I didn't get golden handcuffs, as they sometimes call them, which is where the stock options and the compensation is so good that you never leave. And so I got kicked out and just in time to figure out kind of what my path was meant to be, which is which is actually, you know, really looking at, at why is it that so many people don't have the kinds of educational opportunities that I was fortunate to have? And why is it that rather than um, making sure every single person in our society is able to afford a home, put their kids on schools that they're excited for them to go to, and um, and sort of live the lives that they want, that you, you're considered one of the privileged few if you do have those opportunities. And it just felt like, you know, I was sort of attacking the wrong part of the problem if I was only looking at how to make wealthy people wealthier as opposed to figuring out why was it that only a few people get the opportunity to kind of have the wealth creation of their dreams. And so I um, ultimately, over the course of my career, have shifted from sort of corporate world to the government world to kind of social services oriented nonprofits that are really looking at feeding people as opposed to why can't everybody be fed. And um and then more recently, like working at a social justice and racial justice oriented nonprofits, it's really trying to root of inequity. And it's, you know, I think it's been a personal journey to get to the place where I saw myself as having, I guess what I'm trying to say is unpacking my own access to privilege and realizing that in order to dismantle the inequities, like I had to also get closer to it. And I think like living in Detroit. I see things more up close than I did living in DC and having sort of this like bubble perspective of what's going on in other places. And um, in Detroit, you know, here the disenfranchisement of voters that was attempted in the most recent election is sort of a great example of how if we are not super vigilant, our rights will be taken away just in the blink of an eye. So, so I just am grateful for the opportunity to get closer to not only living in, in, a, in a place where the inequities could not be more stark so that I can more deeply understand it, 
you know, you drive an hour outside of Detroit and you're in straight up Trump country and it's a different experience than living in DC and thinking everybody's in some liberal bubble. And um, so having a more visceral experience of the divides of this country has also, I think, helped me be better at the work that I do and, and being a participant in and co-creating healthy organizational cultures is actually sort of a fractal using Adrian Lee Brown's like emergent strategy language, like as a fractal of trying to imagine how can we create healthy and whole societies. And so I'm jumping around a little bit, but part of what I see is that by supporting leaders to support strong organizations that are looking at how do we dismantle inequity in society, you actually have to start kind of to some extent with yourself. <laughs> and, and then you have to think about how do we practice this at the level of team? How do we practice this at the level of organization? And how can that be catalyst for the kind of change we want in society? So let's talk about some of your current work. Yeah. Or even let's start with your most current project. Yeah, well... So as you had named and through the bio, I do kind of wear two different hats. The vast majority of the time, nearly full-time, I'm on staff with Faith in Action doing um, kind of a hybrid between talent development, organizational development. So kind of the two main things that I think are relevant for this conversation is um, I, I really support our executive leadership team. So I support our executive leadership internally to really help help make sure that they've got good processes and practices to live out uh, the kind of organizational vision in, in collaboration with the entire team. And, um, and I also hold our Black Women's Caucus for the entire network in partnership with some of my colleagues. So we have about 75 Black women on staff throughout our entire network, which is about 40 organizations in 25 states. And we meet monthly, sometimes a little bit more or less often, to do professional development and community building, healing, um, just really relational time in order to support Black women to feel connected to one another and to support our ability to really stay in the work. Um, prior to when I joined Faith in Action, there had been um, just a lot of stories about Black women essentially not able to thrive in this organization, in this network, and some of this is um, public, so I'm not really saying anything that hasn't been shared before, but but when I was hired, you know, we really had a mandate, a uh, number of us, to look at how we could turn that around, like how could we create um, an environment, create the conditions for Black women's leadership to be celebrated, to be valued, to be seen, and for that work not to be soul crushing or um, so so hard that everybody burns out. And um, and so I feel really proud actually that um, over the last three years, or particularly the last two, as we've deepened this community, um, we've created much stronger ties within the Black women so that we know that we've got each other's backs and we will support and lift each other up. And um, and we don't have to necessarily count on other people to do that for us. We can do it for ourselves. And um, and we're also, you know, I think in terms of ways that folks can support this work, I think, you know, we're trying to increase the amount of resources that we have to support the Black Women's Caucus and ensure people have professional development opportunities and bring in amazing outside to pay them a fair amount of money for their for their gifts and offerings. And so we're also looking for folks who might want to come in and share with um, with our sisterhood about ways to uh, continue to nurture and foster Black women's leadership. That 
caucus. That started with a phone call or how did that even begin? Yeah, well, it proceeded when I started on staff. There were, um, you know, over the last, Space Action is about 40 years old. So it, there have been iterations of it over the years. And more recently, though, a lot. So let me back up. Um, probably about five to eight years ago, Faith in Action really got clear that it was probably it was a white majority, white dominant organization serving communities of color and that that needed to change. And so uh, there was a more concerted effort to hire black staff who were had more shared experience with the communities where we were organizing. And um, and at the same time, the leadership didn't necessarily change as quickly. So there was more black and brown staff, but still a lot of white directors, white leaders. And um, and so even though there was, you know, more diverse teams, folks were churning, you know, two years, three years out, two years, three years out. And we started to realize that it was, or, you know, this again, this preceded me, but folks started to realize that we also needed to change the leadership of a lot of these organizations in order for um, staff of color to really feel like their contributions were valued and seen and nurtured and and that the leadership of these organizations was really aligned with what the communities wanted and where they wanted to organize and how they wanted to organize. And so there have been tremendous shifts in the leadership of our affiliated organizations over the last um, five to eight years. So now we have um, a majority of leaders of color as well as majority staffs of color across our entire network. And with that explosive growth, then there became, you know, this much bigger set of people who are interested in coming together and having these kinds of powerful conversations around how can we support each other? How can we lift each other up? And so when I was hired was in part to create some capacity to really hold that space. So, Mm -hmm. so in part, my, my role came out of a direct request from black directors to say, Hey, we, we need somebody on staff whose job it is to, um, to support our continued growth and development. So that was a big part of how I ended up getting on staff in the first place. That's kind of huge as a company. Yeah. And that's really powerful. I think that's a good example that they set for other companies, right? Like how, how to do equity, right? You have to model equity, right? Like not just write a statement. Right. Like put it into practice, right? Share leadership. Um, those are really great lessons just from your life that you've been a part of shaping. So thank you for that work. That's really powerful. So how is it that, so you, and it's interesting because you said that you come from a, a family of leaders, a family of folks that are solution oriented, right? You know, just involved in, 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 in civic engagement or, you know, nonprofit and you being that little girl going to the meetings and being in the corner, how is it that you develop into this person who wants to take that on, right? Because sometimes we kind of do the opposite of our parents and it seems as though you've kind of leaned into that, maybe consciously or unconsciously, but how is it that you are able to step into the, the mindset that, okay, I see myself as this person that does this kind of work? Like, how do you go, like, what does that look like? 
Yeah, well, so it's kind of funny how I became a coach. I was now 10, going on 10 years ago, and I started this new job at Community Wealth Partners. This was probably in 2010. And I, on my very first day of work, my boss tells me that I'm going to be assigned a project of coaching 10 executive directors. And I was like, what? <laughs> I had no clue what she was really asking me to do. And I had not coached anybody. At this time, I was not certified in coaching. I didn't really know what executive coaching was. And I had an MBA and I had like three years of consulting experience. And she somehow thought that was sufficient. But because of, because of my parents, I actually did actually, I had a pretty good idea of executive director mindset, but I wasn't really aware of that until I started working with folks. And I just listened to them and to, to what their issues and challenges were and was a thought partner. And somehow folks were getting value out of our conversations and they wanted to keep having them. And I was sort of flabbergasted that I kind of stumbled into this talent that I didn't know that I had for being a sounding board and for really, I think what I've learned is one of my gifts is like listening to people and repeating back what they say in a way that helps them get clear about what they really mean. So I often would just listen to folks tell their story of what they were struggling with or what they were working on or what they were imagining. And they would maybe talk for five, 10 minutes, however long. And I'd sort of repeat it back and I'm probably in a more concise way. I'm like, so what I'm hearing you say is X. And you're like, yes, did you write that down? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's it. And so I just discovered that I had this talent for hearing people and supporting them to better hear themselves. And really, it's like, it's sort of like a, a gift of mirroring or a gift of um, being a little bit of a, again, like a sounding board that helps you tune your ideas. So I sort of help people tune their ideas so they can get really crisp and what it is they're really trying to say. And um, and it's really fun. I mean, I just love working with visionaries in particular. Visionaries are my favorite, absolute favorite people to work with. Often what I've learned about visionaries is that they are often so far ahead of where other folks are that a lot of their job is to actually bring other people along so folks don't get left behind. And so supporting visionaries to actually create structure for their ideas so that other people can participate in the co-creation process and they're not just like out at the tip of the spear all by themselves um, is like a lot of the work that I do and creating the container for their ideas to take shape and supporting them to kind of articulate what that needs to look like and then creating systems and structures to support it and back it up. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, I think it was work I was meant to do. And if I hadn't found it by accident, I might've found it some other way. Um, and then after a few years operating without any real training, I decided it was a good idea to go get some certification. And, and that really um, kind of catapulted the work to the next level because I actually understood more of the practice of becoming a strong coach and the different tools that you can use to uh, hone your approach and become an even better listener. And, you know, listening is really the core competency of of coaching. I mean, it's fundamentally a, a, a practice of listening. And um, yeah, it's just, it's a gift. It's a joy to be able to work with amazing leaders who are doing incredible work around the country. So if you can catapult yourself into the future, further into the future than two weeks from now, let's say, uh, if you can catapult yourself, I'll say 20 years into the future, 
What are you going to warn everyone about that they should have done to, to, to support this work? You, if you could come back, right? You can like, you're that person. And then you come back here and you got to tell everyone something urgency, like this needs to be done. Like, can you help us understand like, what is it that urge that those urgent needs? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I, you know, I'm going to answer this. The, what comes to mind, this might sound like it's not answering your question, but what comes to mind is to figure out what it is that feeds your spirit and to continue to make space for that. Like for me, I've learned since I moved to Michigan that part of what feeds my spirit is access to nature and like going and spending time at the lakes. I find the lakes to be so, they're, they're just magnetic. I feel drawn to the lakes for like any major, like today I felt drawn to the lakes. So I went to Lake Erie. Um, I was, I went, to, I've been kayaking on four of the five Great Lakes during the pandemic. Um, and I feel like knowing that the lakes give me energy and like the charging up that I need in order to kind of create some, like to, my, to fill my battery, if you will, is like so necessary. And I think that kind of reconnection to the earth, to the land is um, personally healing, but I also think it helps us be, be better stewards of all of the things that we're trying to do and whether in organizations in society. And, you know, so that's what it is for me. Um, but I think that if we're not really clear of, about the practices that we need to get good at to sustain ourselves, it, then we are going to burn out and we are, aren't going to be able to kind of get to our collective finish line of liberation, right? Which we're you know, it's, it, we say it's a journey, not a destination, but I sure, I sure hope there's a destination, you know, <laughs> um, a place where we all feel free. I mean, that's, I guess this is what I'm trying to say, figure out where you can practice the feeling of freedom and know what that feels like. Know what's get good at knowing what that feels like in your body to feel free. And I feel free when I kayak, I feel free when I'm at the lakes, I feel free when I am just just being my most pure version of myself. And if we don't know what that feels like, then it's hard to find ways to replicate it in other contexts. So um, because I know what freedom feels like at the lakes, then I can try to figure out, okay, how do I make sure that I can feel that feeling in the organizations where I work or, or in society or walking around in the streets every day? That's amazing. I was, as you were speaking, I, I felt like I went kayaking with you on all those lakes, I love nature too. So it's like, I was just feeling, you know, the water and just the sun. And so thank you for that. That's, and that reminder, right? Uh, we're stewards of the earth and, you know, this is our responsibility to our planet and to one another. So, you know, thank you for that. So I want folks to understand how they can actually support you, how they can support um, your work, and maybe it's a couple of things that you want to share, you know, yeah. um, and, and more tangibly, you know, practically. Sure. Well, certainly, you know, Space and Action is a nonprofit, and we welcome donations, especially if you want to earmark it towards Black women's work, that would be amazing. Um, we also, uh, again, are looking for folks who might have gifts to offer to our community, not necessarily for free, but, um, but folks who are like, wow, I have this amazing tool that, um, that I think Black women would love to learn from, particularly from other Black women. So 
um, we really try to bring other black women into our space as much as possible as opposed to learning from anybody else. We know we have a lot to teach our, we know we have richness in our community and plenty to learn from. I think we've been learning from folks of other identities for a long time. And we're like, wait, we have so much. We don't need to, we don't need to learn from anybody else. So sort of black women lifting up other black women is a lot of what we practice in our space. And, um, and so, yeah, so if folks feel like they have something they want to contribute. We would love to hear from you. And, um, and yeah, I, in my private coaching practice, um, you know, I work with usually very few organizations a year because of very limited capacity, but I do just love working with, um, with folks who are really tackling hard, hard, hard questions. And, um, particularly I'm learning that I, I've worked a lot in organizations that are in transition from white dominant leadership to black or brown leadership and supporting both the white leader and the leaders of color to make that pivot in a way that. Can uh, you repeat that? That, <laughs> you know, sometimes people don't hear things, uh, you know, like, you know, when you go to yeah, the yeah. call and they say, rewind. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my coaching subspecialties is working with organizations in transition from white dominant leadership to black or brown leadership, black and or brown leadership. Sometimes it's moving from individual leadership to shared leadership and, um, and creating a container for folks to actually do that process. So not necessarily the like search process part of it, but more the organizational preparedness, the hard conversations that need to happen, the internal personal work that needs to happen and supporting folks, you know, often on a year or a longer timeline to become ready for that type of a change. Wow. That right there, do you have that in a bottle or like a spray bottle? <laughs> no. <laughs> You need to sell that as wipes and as a spray bottle and as <laughs> <laughs> the large version. Yeah, that is great, great, great thinking about systems change, you know, because uh, if we could see that replicated, you know, across industries, what a difference, right? Because like right now we, we do see a lot of statements which are great you know acknowledgement of a, a challenge takes you to the step to hopefully do something about the challenge but this is deep uh systems change thinking that you're actually talking about and this i uh, hearing it i hear reflected a really tangible way that folks can participate in actual transformation so that we see it differently so that others coming later ex have different experiences. And when I hear you saying, yes, we've got to support every aspect all the way through the chain so that it's not just here, you know, yeah, that we see it. And then when we, then when we get to something different, it, there's actually something different. Yeah, and I think my personal story connects a lot to this cycle, as you're naming. So, like, I think in some ways, I end up I end up attracting the type of organizations, like in terms of like you know cosmic alignment or whatever, who have gone through this kind of transformation. Like, I I view my move to Detroit as like a personal transformation. <laughs> like, I just was like, I don't want to be totally enmeshed in in sort of a white dominant society anymore. Like, I want to be 
some black centered space. I want to be in black centered community. That doesn't mean that I have to throw everything out and like discard longstanding friendships or anything like that. But, but I want to reorient how I'm living my life and I want to reorient how I'm spending my time. And, um, and I, and I want to create systems and structures for a beloved community that's centering black folks and including myself as black person. So like, and that wasn't always a priority, you know, until, until I really made that, that shift within myself. And I think having done some of that makes me really empathetic, I think, with the organizations that are also kind of wrestling with that on a more macro level of like, okay, so we've had this white meter for a long time and now we're ready for something else. Like, how do we actually make that change in a way that's not going to cause harm or put the person of color in, in a situation where they're not set up for success, which often happens. It's like, oh, okay, now we're in crisis. Here's so-and-so. You can take the leadership, but we're not actually going to create the support systems that you need to actually be successful. And then, you know, two years later, the organization falls apart and then that person's kind of holding the bag. So we're, we're trying to do is avoid that and create um, processes that, that create, that actually allow for that transition to be sustainable and, and supportive, not punitive. And then my final question, and I'm asking this question with caution because part of it is a tad controversial so I don't want to okay. ask it in a way that jeopardizes anything, but I do want to put it out there so that we do create some sort of systems change. What is it that you need funders to know? Whether they be people who currently fund you or they haven't funded you yet, <laughs> or, um, but just in a, in a general sense, like what is it that funders that you see that funders either don't know don't recognize, don't, are not doing, that is really crucial, that really, that they really need to do? Yeah, well, I guess a couple thoughts. One is that, and, and funders know that what I'm about to say, this is not going to be anything they don't already know, but the, the disparity in funding for Black women-led or women of color-led organizations relative to either white male, white woman-led organizations is egregious. And, um, and so I think, first of all, it starts with really looking at your portfolio. And if you're, if you're funding black women, making sure you're funding them at parity with how you're funding other folks. And, and I think we have been in this sort of vicious trap where, because black women haven't had the opportunity to lead organizations, then there's not this track record of success, which demonstrates that we're capable of leading, leading bigger and stronger, more vibrant organizations, which then continue to put us in this deficit scenario relative to more our, you know, true capabilities. And so I think um, just sort of recognizing that there's some reparations work that needs to happen to restore these longstanding inequities. And so that on Black women, we are worthy. <laughs> we are smart, talented, gifted, and we see things that no one else can see about how to make our organizations and our societies strong and vibrant for everybody. When organizations work for us, they were more likely to work for everybody, particularly when you add a queer trans lens, and um, and which is really important to do. And so I think you know the more we center folks who have historically been the, the most decentered, the more we are going to create systems and structures that work for everybody. So just continuing to reinforce that point. And look, I think Mackenzie. 
Scott, who is uh, Jeff Bezos' ex-wife, she's showing how philanthropy needs to reinvent itself. Just stop building these multi-million dollar institutions and just give the money to the folks who know what to do with it. So, yeah. You know, just make it happen. Yeah. Wow. Well, this has been, it's been powerful for me. Um, you know, I honestly, I'm going to contact you outside of this because, you know, as a black woman that does a lot of different, you know, uh, all the way from nonprofit to, uh, other sort of civic and community engagement projects, um, just being able to, uh, you know, listen to you and hear from you and learn from you is um it's like i can't say how valuable that is it's just completely you know uh is mind-blowing the possibilities that i'm thinking of you know in this moment and i would love for anyone listening to the sound of our voices here today to really think about, you know, what you've shared with us, you know, you shared some really valuable tools uh, for industry, for business, for nonprofit, as to how we can think about things differently. I think we've seen, like I said, you know, all the statements, right? And we're moving into this new year. Well, when this podcast airs, it'll be a new year. And so it's a transformational time. We're in the solstice, you know? So uh, this is a really, really powerful manifestation on this day that you've set our intention. You have set our intention for the day and for the year and for the next 200 year cycle, hopefully, right? To create something new. So thank you for this. Thank you for this. And this is a... Let it be so, as they say, you know, what a wonderful Mm -hmm. uh, time that I've had here listening and um, learning from you. So uh, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Um, And then just for yourself, we've heard about your community. We've heard about all your work and we see you're an extreme giver. And um, just for yourself, how can we, the community and or, or funders, how can you as a person, as a human, as a black woman, as a leader, as a giver, how can you best be supported? What can we do? Oh, Piper, <laughs> the hardest question. <laughs> well, look, I look forward to post-pandemic being in community dance parties. Like I... <laughs> I just, I think, I just feel so, I I feel very affirmed by the space that you're creating. Um, This is wonderful, an opportunity to share stories and to just, you know, learn and celebrate each other is is beautiful. So I'm grateful for this space. And, uh, you know, if other folks are interested in doing something similar, I would love it. I'm I'm really enjoying um, storytelling as like a shared practice. And, um, and so I, I can't really, I can't think of anything else, but, uh, <laughs> that's because you're such a giver. <laughs> it's hard for givers to take, you know, so we'll, we'll, that's our job. Then we have to take care of people like you. You're so 
you know, you're, you're so kind and you're so, you know, giving uh, a lot, all of the women on here are, you know, have been givers and are givers and, 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 and that's what we see, right? What's black women leadership is full of people who are thinking about how to help others. How do we help others? And so that that's what I'm learning and listening to, you know, and doing this podcast is that's what we've got to do. We've got to see how to hold you all right. We've got to, you know, that's our, our job and our, uh, our charge is how to hold you all better, you know? So, and just again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, where can everyone go to support oh, right. you? So yeah. So faithinaction.org, uh, you can donate there. Um, and yeah, you can reach me, um, via LinkedIn or Instagram, Isabel Moses, probably the best ways to find me. And I, or so Instagram is Isabel underscore Moses is the handle and Isabel Moses on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. Would love to, would love to get to know folks, you know, beyond this, beyond this conversation. So thank you, Piper. So thank you. Thank you, Isabel. This has been a wonderful conversation with you, Isabel Moses with faith in action and this has been the third installment of the black women lead podcast please continue supporting and listening to black women learn more about outstanding black women leaders and how you can support their work at blackwomenleadus.com mind is to figure out what it is that feeds your spirit and to continue to make space for that. Like for me, I've learned since I moved to Michigan that part of what feeds my spirit is access to nature and like going and spending time at the lakes because I know what freedom feels like at the lakes. Then I can try to figure out, okay, how do I make sure that I can feel that feeling in organizations where I work or, or in society or walking around in the streets every day.